So, Dale, I don't know how much you know about therapy, but it usually starts by you telling me a little something about yourself. I thought there'd be couches and Kleenex and shit. Look at me, son. It's not your fault. Do you want to talk about some of those feelings? I love you. Obviously, you don't know me. So how's this supposed to work? You sit, I sit, we talk. Hi, I'm Dr. Sam. And I'm Dr. Fran. Welcome to Freudian Scripts. The podcast where we put your favorite TV shows and movies on the hypothetical couch to take a deeper dive into the way psychology is portrayed. We analyze the way therapy looks in entertainment, discuss the way psychological diagnoses are portrayed, and break down other psychological themes seen on our screens. As a reminder, Freudian Scripts is for informational and entertainment purposes only. Please consult your mental health professional with any questions and seek care if needed. The content and clips in today's episode will contain explicit language and mature and adult themes. This week, we are excited to cover the winner of our poll, Mean Girls. It is not October Yay! 3rd, <laughs> but we are excited <laughs> to discuss this very quotable comedy with a very big cult following this session. I'm 16. Until today, I was homeschooled. And then it was goodbye, Africa. And hello, high school. Hi, I'm Katie. I'm Jess. This is Damien. Watch out! New meat coming through. You got your cool Asians, burnouts, jocks, the greatest people you will ever meet, and the worst. Plastics. Who are the plastics? They're teen royalty. And evil takes a human form in Regina George. Your house is really nice. I know, right? Being with the plastics was like leaving the actual world. <laughs> Entering girl world. Have you seen any guys that you think are cute yet? There's this guy in my calculus class. His name's Aaron Samuels. <gasps> no, no. That's Regina's ex-boyfriend. Ex-boyfriends are off limits. I mean, that is just like the rules of feminism. I knew how this would be settled in the animal world. <laughs> but this was girl world. All the fighting had to be sneaky. I'm sorry I laughed at you. I'm sorry I called you fat. I'm sorry that people are so jealous of me. But I can't help it that I'm popular. Walk it off! Okay. In the 2000 film Mean Girls, 16-year-old Katie Heron, played by Lindsay Lohan, moves to Evanston, Illinois from Africa. She has always been homeschooled her entire life and will begin her junior year at a public high school. We watch as Katie attempts to fit in and make new friends. She's accepted by Janice Ian and Damian Lee as they attempt to teach her about the new school and its various cliques. They warn Katie about the plastics, the school's most exclusive clique, and then work with her to infiltrate the group in an attempt to sabotage the Queen Bee, Regina George, played by Rachel McAdams. And we're really excited to cover this movie today. It's quite different than the last few sessions we've had. Coming off of our spooky <laughs> session series, we wanted to do something a little lighter, maybe something a little bit funnier, um, and just kind of a different feel, a different vibe, you might say, uh, compared to our last several episodes that we've done. Yes, and this movie, you know, is obviously very popular. It won our poll, so we're excited to dive right in, and we're going to start off by talking about the main character, Katie. And I think the main thing we notice with Katie right off the bat is that she's really trying to adapt to this new culture, new school. We get some background on her that she's been living in Africa for potentially her whole life leading up to the start of the film, um, and she's been homeschooled, so she's going to public school in the United States for the very first time. Um in Evanston, Illinois. Yes, and if she did live in the U.S. before, it's when she was very young. So we right away see that as she's attempting to navigate the waters and talk to peers, um, they might make 
jokes about like, you know, what's going on in their social context. Like at one point she's asked about music. They play a song. They're like, oh, Katie, like you don't even know who this is, do you? And she admits that she doesn't. She really doesn't pick up on slang. So um, when she first has the interaction with Regina George, Regina keeps telling her, shut up. So you've actually never been to a real school before? Shut up. Shut up. I didn't say anything. And Katie does not really understand what that means. So she's just not really um, very in tune with the social nuances because she is from another country um, and is really trying to adjust and fit in. Absolutely. And we see that as most teenagers, she wants to fit in and she wants to find friends. And so that might be even like extra exacerbated because she's coming to this new place and just really wants other people in the school to understand her and to make friends and to relate to. And so she starts doing more and more things to try to fit in, even if that means like jeopardizing school or classes. So we see her pretty early on, you know, not going to classes at first unintentionally, but then I think she kind of realizes that like maybe having friends to her at that point is better than going to whatever class that she's skipping to hang out with Janice and um, Damien in the, at the backfield. Where's the back building? It burned down in 1987. Won't we get in some sort of trouble for this? Why would we get you into trouble? We're your friends. I know it's wrong to skip class, but Janice said we were friends. And I was in no position to pass up friends. Yes, and the first time she skips that health class, she even makes a comment to herself like, well, they called me a friend, so this is going to be worth it. Because she's just so happy that people have kind of taken her in um, when she had been struggling. Like, the first day of school for her is really tough. Her parents ask her about it. She says it doesn't go well. She's having a hard time, like, finding a group of friends that are accepting. So I think when Janice and Damien do accept her, she's just like, okay, I'll skip health class. This is definitely more important, more worth it to me. Um, we see other instances, you know, which are really relatable. Like when you see Katie and you either are a teenager or remember being a teenager or look at teenagers now, social relationships are really important. And so you can do different things to try to fight in, to try to fit in or find the niche of group people that make you feel comfortable. So we see her um, attempts to join the plastics, which we'll talk about a lot more as we go on. Um, we also see that she even pretends to be bad at math to get the attention of a boy that she has a crush on. Um, and at one instance, she even makes a negative kind of mean comment about her friend Damien to fit in with the plastics that she's hanging out with at the time. Who is that? I think that's that kid Damien. Yeah, he's almost too gay to function. <laughs> that's funny. Put that in there. <laughs> oh no. Maybe that was only okay when Janice said it. So, you know, a lot of these little instances where we see her kind of like flexing or bending or doing different things to try to fit in and see how it goes. <laughs> mm -hmm. And we see that classic scene when you were talking about like her first day of school that we see in so many different movies um, portraying adolescents like coming to school for the first time of her eating her lunch in, her, in the bathroom. And I hope that's not as common yes. as the movies and TV shows make it seem that students literally go eat lunch in the bathroom because they feel so left out and so isolated um, from other people. But you can see like if that's how extreme it is that she feels like that's where she has to go to eat her lunch, then she's almost like we'll do anything to kind of fit in and like get that approval from other people and to make friends, which is really sad. 
That is really sad. I feel like, you know, having to go to the bathroom seems like a, going at great lengths to even not wanting to be seen alone, right? So it's not right. only that you can find your own seat in the cafeteria or somewhere around the school. It's like you're really trying to hide or maybe just even needing a break from all that pressure of trying to fit in. So it is a really sad scene. And then we later see that, you know, um, Katie goes through even greater lengths to fit in. So at times she is, when she starts spending time with the plastics, she kind of does what they do, dresses like them, talks like them. And then with um, Janice and Damien, she starts to kind of become an Manipulative and trying to sabotage Regina and the plastics. So we see her, you know, go through these various tactics. So they give her foot cream to put on her face, you know, all of these things that they're trying to do to kind of break Regina down. They don't really work. Her face just smells like peppermint. The boyfriend likes it. <laughs> Your face smells like peppermint. <laughs> and we learn that Janet, you know, really dislikes Regina. And we learn a little bit more throughout the film about why that is. But unfortunately, what seems like Katie finding this group of friends, which I think in the end we learn that like Janet and Damien are good friends and like are people that she can trust and rely on but they do kind of manipulate her a little bit for their own agenda of infiltrating and sabotaging the plastics like Dr. Sam mentioned and again Katie will go along with it one because she wants Janet and Damien to like respect her and like her and she's gonna go along with it but then she also finds herself falling into the plastics and kind of enjoying like being popular and people wanting to spend time with her and even Regina even though she knows that she's like not a good person and she's really mean she like wants that respect and attention from her and we hear her kind of like falling into that trap and she kind of talks us through like how difficult that conflict is of like like not really wanting to like Regina but still wanting her attention and her affection at the same time the weird thing about hanging out with Regina was that I could hate her and at the same time I still wanted her to like me okay you have really good eyebrows thanks move same with Gretchen the meaner Regina was to her the more Gretchen tried to win Regina back she knew it was better to be in the plastics, hating life, than to not be in it all. Because being with the plastics was like being famous. Exactly. And I think a real turning point for her, because I think in the beginning, she might even be kind of happy. She's getting along with and fitting in with both the plastics and with Janice and Damien. Um, but then she feels really betrayed by Regina um, because, I, as I mentioned, she does have a crush on Aaron Samuels. So the senior that, fits, that sits in front of her in her calculus class that she's pretending to be bad at math at. Um, and he starts dating Regina again after Regina had told Katie, this is very typical, I feel like, kind of quote-unquote high school drama, but Katie asks Regina to put in a good word with Aaron, and instead Regina goes and kind of badmouths Katie, ends up making out with Aaron, and of course, understandably, um, Katie feels betrayed by her friend Regina and also upset because she really liked Aaron. And I think this is kind of like the straw that kind of sets off this um, these course of action where she agrees, like, okay, like I feel betrayed, let's do it, let's bring Regina down. And I think the whole thing's a little bit ironic, right? Because the whole thing is to bring down <laughs> this bully or this like really mean girl. Yes. And in that process, Katie becomes a mean girl um, and becomes more manipulative and more kind of conniving and does like harsher and harsher things, not just to Regina, but to other people in that circle, to the other the plastics, and then even to Janice and, and Damien at some point. And I think kind of like, you know, this is kind of jumping the gun, but we're really just talking about like Katie as we will dive into some of the other themes of the movie. But there's like a climax where Katie throws her own party. She doesn't invite Regina, but she also doesn't invite Janice and Damien. And Janice and Damien show up to the party, obviously very hurt because Katie was supposed to go to Janice's um, art 
show with them. And Janice even says, like, you're no longer pretending. Like, you are cold, hard plastic. You are the mean girl. And I think to your point, Dr. Fran, just kind of saying, like, it's not really her pretending to do these things. Like, she's been going along with it, pretending to be innocent or, you know, kind of having her own motives or thinking that it was for the right reasons. But really, she's been engaging in this bullying, this sabotage, um, and has been cruel to the plastics and the other people that are her friends. Oh, God. You dirty little liar. I'm sorry, I can explain. Explain how you forgot to invite us to your party? Janice, I cannot stop this car. I have a curfew. You know I couldn't invite you. I had to pretend to be plastic. Buddy, you're not pretending anymore. You're plastic. Cold, shiny, hard plastic. Curfew, 1 a.m. It is now 110. Did you have an awesome time? Did you drink awesome shooters and listen to awesome music and then just sit around and soak up each other's awesomeness? You know what? You're the one who made me like this so you could use me for your eighth grade revenge. God, see, at least me and Regina George know we're mean. You try to act like you're so innocent. Like, oh, I used to live in Africa with all the little birdies and the little monkeys. You know what? It's not my fault you're, like, in love with me or something. What? Oh, no, she did not. See, that is the thing with you plastics. You think that everybody is in love with you when actually everybody hates you. Like Aaron Samuels, for example, he broke up with Regina, and guess what? He still doesn't want you. So why are you still messing with Regina, Katie? I'll tell you why. Because you are a mean girl. You're a bitch. Here, you can have this. I want a prize. And I want my pink shirt back! I want my pink shirt back! And I think with this story arc with Katie is a really common, like, kind of kind of coming of age story that we might see in movies and books and TV shows about kind of, especially like adolescent female development, because these are very common themes of kind of like navigating relationships and trying to fit in. And obviously, this is done in a comical, um, kind of exaggerated way for, you know, comedic effect, but it still is like, hitting on a lot of those themes that we might see in her story arc um, related to kind of adolescent development. Definitely. And Dr. Fran and I have chatted about adolescent development in a couple other sessions. I think one that definitely comes to mind is um, sex ed, and we talk of various pieces there. But I think what Mean Girls really highlights is this period of adolescence and this critical period of social development. So it really is a time where teenagers are expanding their peer networks. They're increasing the importance and kind of the quality of close friendships that they have, sometimes the quantity, and really just placing a great deal of importance on those relationships and what they do for them. Um, And it's also where we know, even from the research and kind of just from shows, movies, the way it's portrayed, the emergence of romantic relationships as well. And we also see the importance of relationships um, with parents and also growing and developing relationships of like romantic, na- of a romantic nature. Like we see Katie starting to develop romantic feelings towards Aaron and she kind of jokes about how she had only had one other romantic feelings towards someone before and it was unrequited love. Um, but then we also see that kind of push and pull with her parents, right? So we see they're kind of new to some of this too, right? That they're also adapting to kind of maybe some expectations around um, how teenagers in the U.S. are raised versus how the culture was where they were, where she was growing up originally. And kind of like the funny scene where dad is like, oh, they're not allowed to go out when they're grounded. I didn't (laughs) really understand that. Where's Katie? She went out. She's grounded. Are they not allowed out when they're grounded? 
A little bit of extreme example, I think, but just again, we kind of see that that parent-adolescent relationship also develops and changes during this really critical window when we might see that there's more conflict or less conflict, just depending on how much autonomy or like individualized or individuation um, that the kid may have. Yes. And, you know, kind of that comment you mentioned, I always thought when the dad says that about grounding, it's like, well, where was dad raised? Was he not raised with ever being grounded? But I think you're right. It was more just for the joke. <laughs> um, yeah. but kind of going back to the, the more important points. Um, what we do know from the research is what we would expect is seen in Mean Girls. The teenagers are growing up. They're becoming older, more independence, more autonomy. So that relationship is becoming a little more equal. And we do see less conflict as ad- as adolescents do become increasingly independent. Um and this is also a period of time where they, where teenagers start to spend more time with peers and less times with their parents. And so there is that balance because, it's, like Dr. Fran mentioned, it's an adjustment for the parents, too, to go from being the, you know, kind of core social support for their child and then kind of seeing their child spending less time with their child and then their child really spending a lot of time with their peers and putting great importance into those relationships as well. Um, so, you know, the focus in adolescence really shifts from the family to peers in a lot of ways. And to give Katie's parents credit, they actually do a nice job of like giving her that space to kind of develop more independence and to try things out in this new school and this new environment until she shows that she can't be, quote, trusted um, (laughs) with this freedom that they've given her. And then she does all these terrible things and then she's in huge trouble and then she's grounded. This is the fertility vase of the Ndebele tribe. Does that mean anything to you? No, which doesn't actually mean anything to their family, apparently. But yeah, we definitely see that they at least try to give her that space and that autonomy to like develop more independence and kind of make her own decisions. Definitely. And the fact that when she kind of quote unquote breaks her grounding, she goes to a mathlete contest. So it's not like she actually is doing anything social. She's doing something school related. Um, so I thought True. that that was kind of funny. <laughs> um, but one, you know, there's several factors that are important to consider. So as we know, adolescents are kind of their the focus of their relationships are shifting from family, moving more towards peers. And that can come with some important things to consider. So there is research also showing like, related to anxiety, um, social anxiety, and mood, what importance peer relationships have with teenagers and kind of what things might factor into that. So we do know that with peer crowd affiliations, so kind of like if you are if you are in a group that's perceived to have high versus low status, um, as well as positive qualities and best friendships, so kind of feeling supported, having positive feelings about the friends that you have, and the presence of a dating relationship – kind of can have protective qualities. So this can help protect teenagers from feeling socially anxious um, and kind of feel more confident in their social interactions versus teenagers who experience relational victimization, which we'll talk a little bit more about this, as well as negative interactions with their best friends, they are predicted and are shown to have higher social anxiety. So less of that confidence, more trouble engaging in social interaction with peers. And that's really interesting because I think with Katie, we might see that this fluctuates, right? So to some extent, she's Mm -hmm. got some periods where she's in that high status peer crowd affiliation. (laughs) And then we've got like some positive qualities and best friendships with like Janice and Damien sometimes. Mm -hmm. And then she's kind of dating Aaron sometimes throughout the movie, but not really (laughs) till the end. And then, but we definitely see relational victimization for her and negative interactions in quote, best friendships with like her relationship with Regina. And then even sometimes with Janice when they have their falling out. So I think with Katie, it's like there's a mixture. 
Exactly. And I think that that's such a nice way of kind of just like if you take a step back, Dr. Fran, this is probably what we can expect for a lot of adolescents is this is not something that is stable. This is something that is changing and shifting. And they probably go through periods where they do experience all of that. We do see when Katie first moves to the school, she has a high level of social anxiety. She doesn't feel like she fits in. She doesn't really know how to relate. She joins this high status group. She's kind of at the top for a while. And then we kind of have those negative relationships within her close bonds because obviously things weren't going so well. So we we do get to see a nice mix of that with Katie. Um, it's also, I think, important to note that there can be relationships with mood too. So in particular, like depressive symptoms or depressive mood. Um, so again, we see that the teenagers that are in more of these kind of high status crowds, affiliations, they have some, some protection against depressive mood and symptoms. However, those with more of the negative qualities and negative romantic relationships, that's actually associated with more depressive symptoms. I think that's super interesting. I'm glad you brought that up, Dr. Sam, to kind of think about the context of how this might impact the social anxiety, like we talked about before, but also even mood. Um, and again, it's just not that simple, right? A lot of this research is done in the context of like more controlled or kind of uh, more specific questions and then kind of thinking about in real life, like, this might fluctuate again, like we said before. Yes, and I do want to just highlight, like interpersonal relationships are very important for this group. Um, We won't go into this in too much detail because I think that there will be other movies that really highlight this, but we do know in research related to suicidal ideation or even suicidal attempts that interpersonal factors and especially some of these like negative um, relationship factors that we talked about can also be predictive of having suicidal ideation. And we do know from some research studies that when we ask teenagers who may have attempted suicide or thought about suicide, some responses are related to some interpersonal conflict with family members and often friends. And I think that's an important point too, because oftentimes we think of teenagers as being just stuck on their phones all the time, or all they care about is relationships. And why are you so upset? Because Susie doesn't want to hang out with you or because your boyfriend (laughs) broke up with you. Like, I think as adults, we can kind of like minimize some of those things, but this is a huge critical part of adolescent development and can have a huge impact. And there is that balance, of course, between not, you know, we're completely relying on these relationships and not letting that completely consume you, but also kind of recognizing how important that is at this stage in development. Definitely. And I think along those lines, you know, this is such an important aspect of development and, you know, hopefully finding the, helping the teenagers and adolescents to find some more of those positive relationships. We did talk a little bit about these kind of high and low status crowd affiliations. I think that brings us kind of to another big theme that we see in Mean Girls and other movies and TV shows, especially about teenagers or high schools. I can think of a couple even now. Um, But a part of that developmental trajectory that we see are clicks. And clicks is a big thing in Mean Girls. Absolutely. And I think we wanted to kind of define, there are a few different ways we can define clicks, but we use that word a lot, but we want to kind of dive into like what that means and kind of what it looks like in the movie and in the research. So traditionally, a click could define a group of, you know, between two to 12 people who interact with each other regularly or more intensely than others in the same setting. Um, So let's listen to the clicks that we have going on at Katie's High School. Here, this map is going to be your guide to North Shore. Now, where you sit in the cafeteria is crucial because you got everybody there. You got your freshmen, ROTC guys, preps, JV jocks, Asian nerds, cool Asians, varsity jocks, unfriendly black hotties, girls who eat their feelings, girls who don't eat anything, desperate wannabes, burnouts, 
sexually active band geeks, the greatest people you will ever meet, and the worst. Beware of the plastic. And so as we hear Janice and and Damien describe these cliques, you can see that they're often using certain interests or views or perceptions of the group to kind of define like why these cliques are lumped together. Um, I think that that's just interesting in and itself because I wonder if these cliques, like sometimes like how well established are they? Do the people inside the cliques see them the same way? And do other people define and lump these people together based on these same characteristics? Um, so I thought it was really interesting to hear them kind of go through that. And we see this in, like I said, a lot of teen movies, like even just thinking um, off the top of my head, um, like Clueless, right? When she's like new girl to the school and they kind of define the cliques to her. And I feel like we see this time and time again. Yeah, definitely a very common scene in these types of movies and TV shows of going through each of the cliques. And there's usually common themes. There's like band geeks is like almost always one that comes up or like jocks is almost always one that comes up. Um, Just very like stereotypical. And, you know, I think to some extent those are true in some context in like the high school and adolescent and even adult development, right? That these people group together based on shared interests or shared clubs or things like that, but usually not to the like extreme extent that we see it um, in these TV shows. Definitely. And the way that they're defined, it's never in a positive way. Like Dr. Fran mentioned, it's usually using these like stereotypical terms like band geeks, um, jocks, when you could just say like, oh, those group of, that group of friends, they really love music and they're very athletic. And, you know, there are ways that this could be framed in a more positive light, but it's always done in a very negative way. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, and usually in the context of the cliques being a negative thing. And I think it's important to note that inherently cliques aren't necessarily malicious or and that actually they can sometimes be adaptive and natural. Again, we were just talking about how important in adolescence it is to form those interpersonal relationships and kind of those group of friendships. And just biologically, we know that it's important for humans to kind of find other people that are similar to them and that they have things in common with and that that's that sense of belonging um, that is important to us as humans. And so, you know, at the base level, it is kind of like a natural you know, tendency for individuals to kind of sort themselves, quote, um, based on shared interests and things that they have in common. Yes. And this leads to like a sense of security and support and comfort, you know, so you find a group that you feel like you belong to and that you have that shared interest. So there are things to talk about, do together. Um, And this is really something that extends beyond adolescence. We see this throughout our lifetimes, you know, adults, um, you know, it might be like when you're in school, finding those within the school that you really get along with or share interests. Once you get to a career or having a job, kind of connecting with the people in your workspace that maybe you have more in common with or different interests, um, seeking out various clubs or organizations that are based on something that you're interested in doing. Um, you know, like Dr. Fran and I, we like talking about movies and psychology, like whatever the case may be. Um, but, you know, I think this is something that extends beyond adolescence and even childhood. We see this as like a way, like you mentioned, just naturally kind of gravitating towards others where we have that bond and can get that, that comfort. I think it was there's an interesting study that came out of Stanford looking at the difference between like bigger or smaller school environments and an impact on cliques and kind of like pickiness with coming up with friendships and kind of showed unsurprisingly that people in like those bigger school environments that had a lot of options were more likely to want to be more exclusive and kind of clicky and like pairing off versus when you had a smaller school where maybe there weren't as many options, you kind of had to mix with different people, which I think is actually a really nice thing because then you might end up finding things in common with people that may be other 
otherwise you wouldn't have joined the same club with, but you realize both of you like the same favorite kind of music or, you know, have some kind of hobby that maybe wouldn't have been as obvious. Um, but yeah, we do have that tendency to kind of gravitate towards people that are more obviously kind of in that in group or in that kind of shared interest group, but we can find similarities with almost everyone. That's true. And I think, you know, this comes up, like, like we mentioned, like time and time again throughout our lifetimes. And a big part of this is actually because the brain does have these kind of shortcuts just to make things easier for us. And I know this isn't exactly related, but it kind of reminds me like in, um, they do studies about grocery shopping habits. And you mentioned, Dr. Fran, this study in Stanford, like when you're given an overwhelming amount of options, kind of finding that small group to feel comfortable and kind of settle in with. Um, and that's like the brain's way sometimes I think of making things less overwhelming, right? Because if you have like a million toothpastes to choose from, we see that the more options we're given, um, yes, choices and options are great, but we do become overwhelmed by too much stimuli. And so it just kind of made me think of that in a weird way. (laughs) Yeah, no, I think that totally fits in here, not just with picking friendships, but picking like romantic partners, right? If you have a choice of 20 different people to be your best friend or your boyfriend or significant other, then you're going to be like, oh, wait, is this the right one? Or no, maybe this one's better. But if you only have three options, you're like, oh, this is the best one. This is what we're going to go with. Yep. Unless you're Claire Crawley from The Bachelorette. And if you haven't seen this season, I won't say anymore. (laughs) (laughs) But speaking of clicks, you know, we do see one of the major kind of most exclusive clicks at Katie's new school are the plastics. So we want to spend some time talking about the queen bee herself, Regina George. And let's actually hear when we're introduced to Regina in the movie. An evil takes a human form in Regina George. I'll be fooled, because she may seem like your typical selfish, backstabbing, slut-faced hoe bag, but in reality, she is so much more than that. She's the queen bee, the star. Those other two are just her little workers. Regina George. How do I even begin to explain Regina George? Regina George is flawless. She has two Fendi purses and a silver Lexus. I hear her hair is insured for $10,000. I hear she does car commercials in Japan. Her favorite movie is Varsity Blues. One time she met John Stamos on a plane. And he told her she was pretty. One time she punched me in the face. It was awesome. And the plastics are obviously a hugely important part of the movie. And we'll talk about Regina in a second. But we had talked before about how Katie starts to become really kind of intertwined with the plastics, becomes a member, but she's also kind of sabotaging. She's living a double life, but (laughs) kind of living her best life until things don't go too well for her. (laughs) But we kind of hear her even realize, um, you know, as she becomes more and more invested in this lifestyle with Regina and kind of how she feels about her, um, just getting really confused about that process. And you can see, I think, that this sentiment kind of exists with, like, beyond just Katie's feelings about Regina. Like, when we hear these other people talking about Regina, some of them seem to see her almost like as a mythical creature. Some of them are just excited to know facts about her. Some of them feel negatively about her. So Regina George is obviously a very complex character in some, like, in some ways in this movie. Um, So... What we know about Regina, really, is it does appear like she comes from a wealthy family. They pull up to her house, um, and Katie and everyone, like, very impressed. And um, one of the things I always think is so funny about Regina is whenever anyone compliments her, like, oh, your house is beautiful, or oh, my God, you look great, she's always like, yeah, I know. Wow, your house is really nice. 
I know, right? She just kind of, um, you know, very open about that. And um, if you've ever been to Chicago's North Shore, let me tell you, it um, those estates out there and those homes look just like the one in the movie. So right on brand. <laughs> well, and not only does she have this beautiful mansion that she lives in, but she's got this very interesting family, <laughs> um, and specifically her mom, played by Amy Poehler. Um, we, you know, she's a kind of classic character yes. in this movie. Yeah, and she describes herself right away, like, as the cool mom with no rules. Hey, 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 how are my best girlfriends? Hey, Mrs. George, just want you to know, if you need anything, don't be shy, okay? There are no rules in this house. I'm not like a regular mom. I'm a cool mom. <laughs> right, Regina? Please stop talking. One of the most disturbing parts of the movie is we always see Regina's younger sister, like, like um, girls gone wild, like lifting her shirt, dancing in a provocative manner. So it just seems like both the younger sister and Regina don't have much supervision and really don't have like much maybe positive or productive interaction with the parents. We don't see dad really. Um, we know that Regina kicked her parents out of the master bedroom to take it for herself. So it really seems like she's kind of the the queen bee at home too. <laughs> Absolutely. And she's definitely used to getting what she wants yes. at home and it seems like at school as well. And so when she doesn't get what she wants or even when she does, sometimes she seems like she manipulates people to get what she wants, but also just for the fun of it sometimes or just to kind of like have that power and control. That's true. I think we there are several instances in the movie where she kind of um, manipulates or persuades others to get her way. So we see this early on and it's it's kind of difficult to tell if like she's doing it to protect her friend or she just kind of enjoys it. But Gretchen Wieners, who is her one of her one of the plastics and one of her close friends, um, is burned by a guy that she likes and they see him out with another um, classmate. And so Regina calls that girl's mother and pretends to be from Planned Parenthood so that the mom will call and the young woman will get in trouble. Hello. Hello. May I please speak to Taylor Waddell? She's not home yet. Who's calling? Oh, this is Susan from Planned Parenthood. I have her test results. If you could have her give me a call as soon as she can, it's urgent. Thank you. Which I always thought was interesting because she also doesn't do anything really to like penalize the male, like, you know, the teenager that the boy that the girl likes, but she goes right after the other girl. And this is something where she kind of does it like because she's saying she's protecting Gretchen, but also seems just to enjoys it just for her own purposes too. And we see that kind of throughout the movie of sometimes Regina will act like there's an altruistic reason for her actions, yeah. but really it's self-serving or, you know, she's kind of getting something else out of it. It seems like in order... To help her friend, she could have done something different or, like, less dramatic. Um, and then we see, like, some other self-serving manipulation, like, when she finds out that Katie has a crush on Aaron and she offers to help. And then she goes and tells Aaron that Katie is basically a stalker. Yes. And, okay, look, I'm not saying she's a stalker, but she saved this Kleenex you used. And she said she's going to do some kind of African voodoo with it to make you like her. Um, and kisses Aaron right in front of Katie and, you know, just like a really mean, <laughs> just really mean. Yeah. And then one of the most manipulative things that we see Regina do involves the burn book. So after um, she becomes mad um, for being left out at the party and finding out that Katie was, in fact, trying to sabotage her. She runs home. She gets the burn book and enters a really mean entry about herself. This girl is the nastiest skank bitch I've ever met. Do not trust her. She is a fugly slut. 
and turns the book in, kind of pretending that, you know, she is a victim. Everyone was victimized except for um, Katie, Gretchen, and Karen, the other plastics. Um, and she does this just to get them in trouble because they have kind of outed her and, you know, she cannot have that kind of needs to exert power over them again. Um, but I think that that's, and not only that, she prints the pages of the book and like throws it up all over the school so that all of the other female juniors will know like what negative things and and really harsh things were said about them and i think that scene is so well done because they lead you to believe that she's actually writing it about katie (laughs) because this is right after the party that dr sam mentioned before that um that Regina doesn't get invited to. And so she's really upset. Oh, she also finds out that they've been purposely giving her bars to gain weight instead of lose weight. And so she gets really upset and you're like, oh, she's just acting. She's super upset. She's super emotional. She's going to go like make this big mistake, but actually it's very intentional um, and very Mm -hmm. thought through. And she even tries to like, you know, get out of it. And so I think kind of related to this scene in the burn book, this is really kind of, I feel like the climax of the movie, right? And so this brings us to another major theme of Mean Girls, related to the cliques, related to the plastics, but bullying. And I think when you think of Mean Girls, Regina George, you know, also the Queen Bee, but she also seems to be the biggest perpetrator of bullying. She seems to be, you know, kind of really negative to her peers, especially the other girls in her junior class. Um, And actually, there is a scene, which we'll talk a little bit more about, but where they're kind of trying to resolve everything that happened following the burn book. And Miss Nurberry, who is played by Tina Fey, asks all of the girls who feel like they have been personally victimized by Regina George to raise their hand. Can I just say that we don't have a click problem at this school? And some of us shouldn't have to take this workshop because some of us are just victims in the situation? That's probably true. How many of you have ever felt personally victimized by Regina George? Good. Um, and Regina realizes that she is a bully because I think everyone raises their hand, even the teachers and the staff and faculty, because she, you know, just has been a bully to everyone. And I think she is portrayed as such that classic mean girl. And we see this again, time and time again, this kind of stereotypical, like very well off, very privileged girl in the school who just is very mean and bullies for like seemingly no good reason um i'm thinking of like mandy moore in princess diaries is like another good example like but we see this over and over again um and just kind of a very exaggerated version um and even though regina is like the most classic example and most obvious example of this in the film we see bullying just is a common thing at this school Yes, I feel like there are several bullies in this school. It's not only Regina. And I do think that this school generally just has a culture of bullying, which is problematic. Um, because we will hear, you know, Janice and Damien, who they themselves are often the victims of bullying that we see over and over in the movie, people saying negative things to them. We see Damien getting shoes thrown at him. Um, but Janice and Damien themselves also make a lot of negative comments and rude remarks to other classmates. Um, we even see at one point after Regina George has eaten all of those um, bars that are supposed to be burning her carbs but actually helping her to put on weight she crashes into another like a uh, girl student and the girl calls her fat ass so you know we kind of see just a lot of name calling I think there's a lot of negativity and we don't see any consequences for any of these actions at least in this movie and in this school and unfortunately I'm sure there are some schools where that could be the case as well 
Right. And you can see the consequences of if this bullying goes unchecked and unrecognized and just like not responded to, that it just creates this expectation of like, this is okay. It's okay to talk to people like this. It's okay to treat people like this. You just do it back is kind of like the culture at this school. Yes. And we do know that people who are victims of bullying, um, after a certain amount of time, we can see that they then begin to also um, either verbally or physically become a bully themselves. Um, especially if it goes unchecked and no one is intervening and they, you know, continue to get bullied. And it really does just exacerbate and create this culture. Um, and I know we keep talking about bullying. A lot of people know what bullying is, but we do want to give a definition of bullying. Um, and talk a little bit about it. So bullying is any unwanted aggressive behaviors um, by one youth or a group of kids that involves observed or perceived power imbalance and is repeated multiple times or is likely to be repeated. And so we definitely see that in this movie. Um, there are people that, you know, like Regina George, who are repeatedly kind of engaging in the same um, bullying or aggressive behaviors. And aggression here doesn't only mean physical, like we mentioned, it can be verbal and there are different types of bullying. Yeah, and there's different types of aggression. So we think of typically aggression being on a few different continuums, one being physical versus relational. So physical being more like obvious, like physically hurting someone versus relational being defined more as like intending to hurt, harm, or injure someone using the relationship or the threat of removing that relationship as the means to harm. I think a perfect example is Regina's relationship with Gretchen of like, she's always like on a thread, especially towards the end of the film where you know, Gretchen could do anything and Regina might just like take that friendship away. And that is very manipulative and very like this relational aggression piece. Yes. And we hear Gretchen at one point when she finally, they say she cracks, quote unquote cracks, and she's coming clean to Katie. And she's just like, you don't even know how mean Regina is. And she tells stories about Regina controlling what she wears, who she likes, the things that she does, and seeing really that kind of controlling behavior. I think there's an interesting clip with Katie when she starts to realize this power imbalance between her and Regina. And she kind of describes um, what she would like to do versus what she will do in terms of... Um, Regina bullying her, and it has to do with Aaron, so let's listen there. Why do you wear your hair like that? Your hair looks so sexy, pushback. Katie, will you please tell him his hair looks sexy, pushback? Regina was dangling Aaron in front of me on purpose. I knew how this would be settled in the animal world. But this was girl world. Your hair looks sexy, pushback. And in Girl World, all the fighting had to be sneaky. I think this is another good piece because we hear another two dimensions of the aggression spectrum, which is covert versus overt. So overt being like more open, more obvious, like that's like physically going up and punching someone that's like very overt, very obvious versus covert, which is what Katie's describing here, which is a lot more subtle, sneaky and kind of manipulative. So we see a lot more of this like relational covert aggression in the film as opposed to kind of like overt uh, physical aggressive bullying. Exactly. And I think this is the breaking point where Katie realizes because now she sees that Regina has made similar comments about other girls attire. And so she kind of catches on that when Regina has been complimenting her, maybe those weren't really compliments. They were more negative things. She also starts to feel like Regina is like, as she says, dangling Aaron in front of her and their relationship that she can't have him. So she's like, you know, the fighting in this world, you know, girl world, as she calls it, is going to be sneaky. And so they both really are engaging in that that relational covert type of bullying. 
And what's interesting is we can see this kind of relational aggression or bullying at a super young age, even kids three to five years old. Some examples might be, um, you can't come to my birthday party or you can't play with us, which sounds familiar, right? <laughs> you can't sit with us! You, you can't, can't sit with us! us. <laughs> because they're, she's wearing sweatpants on a Monday. And then I think it's interesting in that scene too, because Regina's like, well, those rules aren't real. But for everyone else, they were real. But Regina can change the rules, right? And that's not met with a lot of, um, uh, her group doesn't find that very favorably. <laughs> and when we think about like correlates or like what are predictors of relational aggression, there are a lot of different things. Again, it's not just super cut and dry. There are a lot of different factors that can play into it. Like Dr. Sam mentioned before, children who have been victimized by their peers from before are more likely to exhibit that behavior later in time. We hear that with Janice, honestly. We hear Regina actually tell the story of, you know, from her perspective, yeah. but we get a good hint of like what happened to poor Janice and why she left school for a while and, you know, then has grown to really want to get back and have a lot of resentment towards Regina because she was pretty aggressively bullied. Exactly. And as we talked a little bit about, I mentioned earlier, that children who are victimized by their peers, they learn from these experiences. So we've talked about modeling in the past. Um, and so they're aggressive behavior increases over time as well, either like, you know, to protect themselves or because they don't know any other way. Um, so we can see an increase there too. And there are some reasons that kids bully or kind of engage in this relational aggression. I mean, as we might expect, like sometimes they do it to look cool mm -hmm. or to make friends because they think it might make them popular. We definitely see that with Katie yes. as she kind of engages more of these behaviors because people think it's funny or she thinks it'll give her points with Regina and the plastics. Also, it can um, be impacted by how much someone can regulate their emotions. Um, and again, that history of like peer rejection or peer exclusion. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when kids are exposed to higher levels of aggression in their homes, whether it's physical or relational, um, whether it's parents or even siblings, um, that if there is like that tendency to manage conflict with aggressive behavior, either physical or relational, we're more likely to see that in the kids as well. Exactly. And I think that those, you know, the... The other teenagers around Regina, maybe this is something that they see that she engages in. It makes her look cool. makes her look popular. Um, so there is definitely that modeling within the school. Um, or maybe they've been victimized by it. So then they, you know, kind of continue with the cycle. But I kind of think it brings us back to Regina and thinking about, like, what makes her engage in these behaviors? We don't really know if there's been any modeling at home. Um you know, it has worked to help her kind of have this power um, imbalance and kind of brought her to the top of her social hierarchy in her high school. It has worked to make her popular and seem exclusive. So maybe she continues to engage in it to keep with that status. Um, but kind of if we start to think about Regina and what path that she's on, um, what do you think about that, Dr. Fran? Yeah, I mean, I think she's not on a good path, right? And bullying can be a risk factor for certain personality disorders, or not bullying necessarily, but like that relational aggression that we see. Um, and there is mostly an overlap with narcissistic personality disorder and antisocial personality disorder. And we've talked about those quite a bit on the podcast, so we're not going to kind of rehash that here. But it's just important to note that individuals who exhibit these types of behaviors not automatically are going to go on yeah. to have personality disorders or to be psychopaths or anything like that, it actually is pretty common that kids are going to engage in some kind of relational aggressive mm -hmm. behavior or some bullying at some point. Um, it goes both ways kind of situation like we've been talking about. 
but it can put individuals at risk of kind of being on a negative trajectory later in life. Exactly. And I think it's kind of interesting to note, like, you know, that there is some um, correlation with those diagnoses. But also, interestingly, um, I don't know if we've touched upon this as much because in the past, when we've talked about personality disorders, they have been in adults. But you do need to be at least 18 and show a pattern of that pervasiveness that we've talked about, like throughout childhood and as you continue to grow. So Regina, she's also not quite there yet. Um, I think they're like 16 and juniors. Um, But just something interesting to think about. So we see them attempt to address bullies at the school. Attempt. (laughs) And I use attempt uh, purposely there. (laughs) So let's listen to how they try, how they try to address the bullying. Once the burn book comes out and, you know, you know, all hell really break, breaks loose in this, the hallways of the school. <laughs> the girls, the girls have gone wild. <laughs> Miss Norberry, you're a successful, intelligent, caring, graceful woman. I am. There has to be something that you can say to these young ladies, something to help them with their self-esteem. It's not a self-esteem problem. I think they're all pretty pleased with themselves. Okay. Uh, everybody close your eyes. I want you to raise your hand if you have ever had a girl say something bad about you behind your back. Open your eyes. Now, close your eyes again. And this time, I want you to raise your hand if you have ever said anything about a friend behind her back. Open them. There's been some girl-on-girl crime here. Okay, so what we could do today is a couple exercises to help you express your anger in a healthy way. Uh, let's start over here. Miss Norbury had us confront each other directly about the things that were bothering us. And it seemed like every click had its own problems. So in this clip, as we hear, you know, they are trying to get the bo- to the bottom of why the girls are engaging in this behavior. You know, they talk about, like, is this because of self-esteem? What's going on? I think it's, like, interesting that at first the male, I think he's the principal, he tries to assist and then right away backs off and gives it to Mr. Norberry to help out. Um, and we also hear um, that like we alluded to earlier, Miss Norberry is trying to get a sense of like who has ever um, felt that they have been a victim of bullying or engaged in talking about others behind their back or who's been victimized by Regina George. Um, And I think we hear in these clips that they're trying to, um, as Dr. Fran alluded to, that this is normative in some instances and, you know, teenagers do go through these things. So they're trying to show how common bullying or this relational aggression really is and showing that this is occurring like at the school widespread. So yes, they all feel victimized by Regina George, but they're also admitting that they have done similar things as well. And I think like if we take a step back, what they're trying to do with this anti-bullying workshop is like a good a good hypothetical idea. It's just not very well executed. So <laughs> yeah. like they're trying to show, like Dr. Sam said, that this is a common thing that's going on, you know, that these things happen. You're not the only one this has happened to. And like, you know, the impact that this can have on others. We also hear them, them kind of move on to try to express their anger in a more healthy way by actually talking through um, these emotions and these feelings. And I think, again, if this was done in the context of like a school counselor or a psychologist or yes. something like that, that this could have been a- effective, right? Of having students sit down and really kind of voice in an appropriate, effective, very clear way, like what's bothering them, why they're upset, 
apologizing and kind of getting to the bottom of these like peer conflicts that that could have been helpful. Um, but it's just, is kind of a free for all and there's not really a lot of structure or no. um, guidance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there are no goals. It's like, let's just bring all the girls together because all the junior girls have been having a lot of difficulty and let's talk about our feelings. Let's air it out. And we're going to get to the bottom of it. But as Dr. Fran mentioned, I a hundred percent agree. No structure, no goals, no real professional guidance. Um, and so we even see that it starts to kind of get away from them because even in the context of trying to talk and get everything out there and kind of get on the same page, we hear Regina and George make negative comments about Janice. We hear, you know, they're still making fun of each other. They're still being negative. And I think one of the main things they have the girls do is apologize to each other. So let's listen to a couple of how these apologies actually go. <laughs> okay, everybody up. Miss Norbury had us write out apologies to people that we'd hurt in our lives. Alyssa. I'm sorry I called you a gap-toothed bitch. It's not your fault you're so gap-toothed. Gretchen, I'm sorry I laughed at you that time you got diarrhea at Barnes & Noble. And I'm sorry I told everyone about it. And I'm sorry for repeating it now. Huh? Laura, I don't hate you because you're fat. You're fat because I hate you. I'm sorry that people are so jealous of me, but I can't help it that I'm popular. Oh my god! Oh, okay, walk it off! Walk it off! Okay. That hurt. They're okay. They're okay. So again, good idea in theory of having everyone apologize and, you know, kind of really take ownership of the behaviors they've exhibited. But in theory, in practice, that's not actually what happens. Um, no. We hear these very hollow apologies that aren't really solving anything or making amends for anything um, and just causing more drama and injuries. Gretchen yeah. <laughs> like falls on top of um, Amanda Seyfried's character, Karen, and, yes. you know, <laughs> so it just like could have been really bad. Yeah, because there obviously was no real guidance on these apologies, right? They varied greatly. And then Gre um and then Regina gets so mad that she leaves and gets hit by a bus. So just overall horrible execution. Maybe like intentions were in the right place, but this was really not effective. And I think that's one of the silly things about the movie is that after this, like, well, you know, Regina gets hit by a bus. And so everything then was okay. And that kind of teaches if you just kind of bring the bully down, right? So how do we actually want to address bullying other than just running over the bully with a bus? <laughs> you can take that fake apology and shove it right up your hairy... <laughs> And that's how Regina George died. No, I'm totally kidding. Yeah, not what we would recommend, not what research supports for how to address <laughs> no. bullying. And this has gotten a lot of attention, I think especially yeah. recently, um, probably over the last decade or so, about like how do we address bullying at schools? It's becoming more common. It's becoming more problematic and just more like widely known that bullying is a problem in schools. And so how do we address this? And really, we can kind of think about like the individual bully or the individual person who this is who is perpetrating this, but it's often not just one person. And so we really... Mm -hmm. Like when we think about these anti-bullying efforts, it's really looking at the school climate. 
And when we say school climate, we think about like the quality and the character of school life. So it's like how the students, the parents, the school personnel, staff, how they experience the school and what are the different norms, goals, and values that are reflected. And I don't know about you, Dr. Sam, but I don't think the school climate at Katie and Regina's school is very positive. No, definitely not. Like we mentioned, it just that is the climate of a lot of negativity, bullying, um, kind of like name calling, passive aggressiveness. Like we even see passive aggressive comments between like the principal and the teacher, the teacher and the students. Um, So really not... Um, harboring or creating a safe school climate that is free of this bullying. Um, we do know that it does have to kind of start with that climate and from the top. So as opposed to really just focusing on Regina and having her get hit by the bus, or even if we were thinking more realistically, like let's say the teachers and some school personnel and parents and families came together and they were wanting to stop this behavior, it would go beyond just meeting with Regina and having her cease in her behaviors, right? So it's really more about the teachers, the staff, like everyone really interacting with the youth and the students to come together and make a commitment and take steps to prevent bullying. Um, And this is kind of done through hopefully having more positive teacher-student relationships. Um, I do know that there have been schools that they will even do um, like contracts or different programming. So actually bullying is something that is addressed every day or they'll have like um, certain kind of psychosocial periods of the day or every other day where they come together and talk about things and address things related to bullying, peer relationships, things like that to kind of foster that safe environment where you can talk about things and not feel like you have to engage in other kind of like bullying behavior. So there are different things that schools can try, but it really has to be like a school-wide commitment and approach. Because what we see in the movie is that this is just a normal, okay behavior. And so if a school like kind of lets this happen and continue almost like encourages it, or at least turns a blind eye to it, you're not giving any consequences. You're not demonstrating that this is like a not appropriate behavior versus if the whole school is taking that climate of like speaking to each other respectfully and talking out our grievances instead of engaging in bullying or relational aggression, that really sets the stage for how the students respond. That's not to say you're not still going to have bullying or still have students that engage in this behavior, but it at least is not as overwhelmingly um, common. Um, And research does show that when schools take this approach, there is a reduction in the amount of bullying and victimization um, at those schools. I 100% agree. And I think we do overall see, like, I think thinking about starting younger too can be helpful. And I don't know the exact literature on this, but some of the recommendations they make are like improved playground supervision, um, having like an actual like plan in place. So if a if a student reports being bullied, there's a person that you report to and then there's like a plan of action that occurs. And so the expectations are clear. There's a zero tolerance for bullying. And if someone engages in bullying or teasing, everyone knows the course of action, the consequences that will ensue. And so really kind of getting that into that climate, that culture of the school. And then as they, you know, kind of move up and advance, kind of remembering those tenants, because it is a lot harder like to, for example, like increase playground supervision like that's not going to be happening in the high school right but there are teachers in the hallway or in the classrooms and as we see in katie's school the teachers are around when some of these things are happening and really like nothing is ever said nothing is ever um, acknowledged yeah so the school staff um, at katie and regina's school definitely have some room for improvement yes. here and could take some tips from these anti-bullying policies and procedures yeah and maybe bring in some professionals <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> So one last thing kind of related to bullying we wanted to touch on just briefly before we wrap up is 
fears of being bullied and fitting in related to body image because this is definitely a theme that comes up in Mean Girls. Yes. And so, you know, body image and eating disorders, things related to that is something that we plan on going into in more depth as it is an important topic and one that warrants more time. But we thought that it was really important to bring it up because we do see this a lot, at least come up a lot in Mean Girls. So there is this overall worry about, you know, with the plastics talking about wanting to be skinny, wanting to be physically attractive. Um, Regina is constantly saying that she's trying to lose three pounds and engaging in a lot of different behaviors and dieting behaviors to lose those pounds. Um, There is a whole focus on ruining her quote unquote perfect physique when they're doing like the payback plan and trying to bring her down. Um, So there is a lot of talk and a lot of kind of we see like a fear of being bullied, wanting to fit in, in terms of looking a certain way or Um, having a certain physical appearance. And you see how much this feeds into kind of the relationships and kind of like how they interact with each other. And if you've been a teenage girl, I feel like the scene where they're all standing in front of the mirror (laughs) saying all the negative things about themselves like might bring back some memories, right? God, my hips are huge. Oh, please. I hate my calves. At least you guys can wear halters. I've got man shoulders. I used to think there was just fat and skinny. Apparently, there's a lot of things that can be wrong on your body. My hairline is so weird. My pores are huge. My nail beds suck. I have really bad breath in the morning. Ew. But I think that scene is just so, like, telling and heartbreaking of, like, it is ingrained in these girls. And I think... The other students at the school, too, like regardless of gender, um, that like there is a specific way you should look and you shouldn't be satisfied with how you look and you should always be trying to make it better. And um, it's kind of never good enough. Exactly. And that you only get certain things related to your looks. So Regina even makes a comment about for the spring fling. She says, well, Karen really should be the spring fling queen because she's so pretty. And Gretchen could never be the spring fling queen because she's not pretty. And she's like, it's not me, but she's just not pretty. So there's definitely this tied in like, you know, societal expectations and perceptions of having to look a certain way. It's definitely exacerbated within the plastics of having to look a certain way, be a certain way. Um, And, you know, like Dr. Fran mentioned, this is not a surprise if you've gone through adolescence. And unfortunately, again, something that we're talking about that does not really end there. Absolutely. And just some like interesting statistics to think about. So research shows that up to 50% of 13-year-old American girls reported being unhappy with their body and that this grew up to 80% by the time they reached 17. Um, So thinking about the age range seeing in the movie that's around 80 percent of those girls and that's pretty well reflected in the movie is that the majority do have some comments that they make or some things that they hint at about um, their appearance and then up to 80 percent of young teenage girls report fear specifically of becoming fat so again this is like something we could go on and on about how media and kind of like gender roles and expectations and body image just kind of all impact together but when you've got like the majority of young women kind of not being satisfied with how they look. And I think, again, that extends beyond just the female gender, but across genders. Yeah, definitely. And I think that just that fear of being overweight is a pervasive thing too. Like it's one of the main focuses, I think, related to Regina. Um, so, you know, it comes up a lot. And um, and I think it's kind of nice because Katie, her character supposedly was not raised in America. And obviously every country has a different culture related to body image. Um, but when they're all doing that, she's just kind of like, oh, wow. Like I didn't know that there was even more beyond just being like, thin versus overweight and, you know, kind of picking apart every piece of your physical appearance. And then I think that her comment of like, you know, the negative thing that she thinks of is actually not related to her physical appearance. And she's like, oh, yeah, like, well, in the morning I have bad breath. (laughs) So maybe it could be related to the different cultures. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. 
And it is on, on, unfortunately, like a learned behavior or a learned kind of expectation. And we see this with kind of the impact of media on this. So it's super common that um, like up to 50%, 58% of female characters in movies make comments about their looks, um, 28% in TV shows, um, 26% of mm-hmm. female models in commercials. So it's just like super common that, you know, the female body is talked about in the media and culture. And this does come up for men and boys as well. And I think we're seeing that even more, like more mm-hmm. attention has been paid to that. But traditionally, we've really talked about how the in- the negative impact that this can have on women as they're developing and kind of like starting to develop self-esteem and confidence and just kind of relationships and understanding um, their bodies. Yeah. And and while we might say that it's like a negative thing to see this portrayal in Mean Girls and, you know, other young girls watching it and then having similar worries about not wanting to be overweight, wanting to look a certain way, it does seem like it is an act accurate reflection of what we can see in adolescence, um, you know, females and males. Um, And throughout the movie Mean Girls, actually, there were a couple of problematic stereotypes. So, you know, as I mentioned, maybe there are some differences related to Katie growing up and being raised in Africa, but there are several assumptions about her being from Africa, being from another country that come up again and again in the movie. Um, One of the first things we see is when Katie is introduced and they say, oh, it's a new student from Africa. Miss Norberry automatically assumes that the student from Africa is actually a black female sitting in her class. Um, And then the black student says, like, I'm from Michigan. Um, So, you know, I think that the movie's kind of poking fun at these assumptions and kind of showing how inaccurate they are. But we do see these come up. Yeah. And I think while they do kind of try to highlight how um, inappropriate or how wrong some of these assumptions and stereotypes can be. They do accidentally sometimes perpetuate them as well. Um, so I think especially like for the LGBTQ culture um, at this time, it was yes. something that wasn't like as widely talked about or kind of like integrated. We've talked about media representation a lot. And while we do have Damien's character it is kind of seen as this like token gay best friend character, Um, not necessarily like super well developed. And then we also have a lot of this negative connotation and bullying towards Janice um, based on assumptions Mm -hmm. that she's gay and that being a really negative, horrible thing. Um, And so I think that really shows the, uh, the movie's age when we start to see kind of some of those biases and assumptions and stereotypes uh, coming up. Yeah, definitely. I think all important points. And, you know, while there were some negative things portrayed in the movie, we said maybe um, a reflection of the time that was made, but we talked about like the LGBTQ community portrayals, or at least the way they make assumptions about them being negative, Katie being from Africa. We talked about how the looks are most valued. Um, There could be a lot of potential like things that we could say are pH don'ts, like maybe don't try to do therapy in the gym without a professional and just have students do a trust fall. Um, But as therapy was not actually portrayed in this film, we won't be doing pH don'ts today. So let's dive into... Dr. Fran, what are your overall impressions of Mean Girls? (laughs) So I really wanted to do this movie. I had to convince Dr. Sam to let us put it on the poll. She was like, there's no therapy. There's no diagnoses. Um, But I just think it's a fun, like Dr. Sam, like we mentioned at the beginning, it's kind of developed this cult following. I think it's like one of the most quotable or quoted movies. Like if you just asked someone from our generation, like to name a Meat Girl quote, they could name like five. Okay. That was so fetch. So I just think it's fun. the The actors in it are great. Like Lindsay Lohan, I mean, she went on to, I don't know what, but, (laughs) but Rachel McAdams (laughs) is great. And Amanda Seyfried went on to, (laughs) to 
be, you know, pretty famous and be in some really good films. And obviously Tina Fey, Amy Poehler, Tina Fey was one of the, um, I believe she was the the screenplay. Mm -hmm. Um, So you've got like a lot of really good actors, which I think just makes it a fun movie as well. That's very true. What about you? (laughs) So Dr. Fran is right. She didn't have to convince me. You know, I think sometimes we have quote unquote hot takes. I do think I have a bit of a hot take because I enjoy Mean Girls. Um, I do think it's a funny movie. I think it's a cute movie. Um, and I can, of course, quote it. <laughs> and I love all the memes and I, I know all that. But I don't love it. Like if, if I was given a couple of options of something to put on and Mean Girls is one of them, I, I don't know. I'd be hard-breast to maybe pick that as the one to put on. But I do find it to be an enjoyable movie. And I think it was perfect coming off of our Spooky Session series to do something fun, um, a little bit holiday-related. You know, they do the Jingle Bell dance <laughs> um, as we finish off November. I think it's funny that you mentioned that because if Mean Girls is on cable, I will almost every time like leave it. <laughs> on <laughs> unless I, unless I've watched it within the last week like if it's on I, that's just what's going to be on in the background while I do other things and that's how I often gauge like my enjoyment too is like there are certain things if it's on I always put it on and for me Mean Girls is just not one of those that's not to say that after it's been a while and I haven't seen it I do I do enjoy watching it I think it's funny um, I do love Rachel McAdams so definitely enjoyable but just not like one of my favorites <laughs> So what about for our DSM-5, Diagnosing Shows and Movies, how would you rate Mean Girls? Let's think about like how accurately it portrays adolescent development, for example. That's what I was thinking. So, you know, Dr. Fran mentioned that one of the reasons I was a little bit hesitant, even though I think that, you know, listeners, you're going to love this one, you love this movie, you voted for it. So I'm glad we're able to bring it to a session. Um, I was kind of like, whoa, what are we going to even talk about? But what I've been learning with this podcast, like, you know, we did Step Brothers, we've done various movies, is that really you can find psychological things themes like in almost every movie and Mean Girls was no different and um, as you know as well Dr. Fran and I in work with adolescents we enjoy we do a lot of research in adolescent development this is definitely right up our alley in terms of that and so I think thinking about it in terms of the bullying what we expect with social relationships in this age group I think again as we always see it's exaggerated it's supposed to be funny but I do think when you're watching it Nothing that happens is outside of the realm where you're going to be like, oh, that would never happen, right? You see it, you're kind of like, I could kind of see that happening with teenagers. Um, Maybe not the scene where they're all like beating each other up. That might be the only scene. Um, But I think in terms of adolescence and things like that, if we're only thinking about it, and, and then I will say... Their attempts to handle the bullying, though. I do think that the, you know, the negative culture in the school, the fact that they don't really make, uh, you know, I feel like they're kind of desperate when they're trying to help the girls. And maybe that we can attribute that to why they have not such a great structure and approach. But I think that that might bring it down. So I was going to say a four. But then when I was thinking just because this pervasive culture has happened, um, oh, but that's not saying that it's inaccurate because I do actually, unfortunately, know of schools like that. So... I think I will give it a four for the adolescent and bullying portrayal. I'm just giggling because we just got a lot of insight into how Dr. Sam's brain works. She kind of talked us through (laughs) how she decided on her rating. I was also leaning towards a four, I think, because we don't have a ton to go off of. Um, But just in terms of like the relational aggression, the bullying, how important it is to fit in um, just super common things that we might see. And like, yes, we might not see all of these things happen with one person or with like at one school. Um, I think, again, the majority of things we see in the movie are things that could happen in real life and that are at least representative of what we would see with uh, typical teenage development. So I would give it a four as well. 
Yeah, like I would definitely hope for better attempts at addressing bullying, hopefully before it got to the point that it did. I would like hope that they would actually have like some professionals and address it that way. So I think that's what brings it down. But the reason why I didn't bring it all the way down is unfortunately, like I have worked with schools. I have heard of schools where that might be their approach. So it might not be so far from reality, unfortunately. And hopefully we can get to a better place. (laughs) Yeah. And especially again, this was 2004. So it was maybe like prior to some of these Mm -hmm. big anti-bullying intervention efforts. And, you know, a lot of schools are underfunded and don't have access to school counselors or, you know, at least to a permanent school counselor. Mm -hmm. So I can definitely imagine, like, especially in 2004, a little bit earlier, um, and even today that certain schools, this might be a way that they would try to address it of like having like good intentions, but just like very poor execution. That's true. And we could also think that the fact that it got to this point just kind of shows that they may not know how to best address it. And so now that you're, you know, it's kind of like, we're just going to keep going. (laughs) All right. Well, session is up for Mean Girls. Don't forget to check out our website. As always, we'll have some resources and a glossary of new terms. Please let us know your thoughts on the movie. Like, I'd like to hear what you think about the bullying, about, you know, what's going on with Katie. Do you think that Regina might get a diagnosis? You know, just always curious. And we'd love to hear any questions that you have for us about psychology or any other movies or TV shows you want us to put on the couch and break down next. As always, also, please find and follow us on social media, uh, subscribe, rate, and review. We love to hear from you on social media um, and love that you guys participated in the poll for this month. Yes. Um, we may actually keep some of your votes and maybe we'll do one of the other runner-ups uh, sometime in January or February. So keep an eye out for that and for future polls. And we may even be doing some promotion soon. Um, yeah. So keep an eye out for that as well on our social media. Definitely. I agree. Thank you so much for participating in the poll. I will say I feel like we have some passionate listeners because the polls are always so close. So you might see some other familiar movies coming up soon. All right. Time's up. See you next session. We'd like to thank our producer, Brandon, creative director, Eric, and webmaster, Don. Can't sit with us. So fetch.